And uh, we're going to start with verse 14 and read through verse 17. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And the Lord will add a blessing to the reading of his word. Last time, as we close, we looked at there's, there's three different issues and three different things that he prays. We're going to cover two of those issues and two of those prayers today. The problem was the world hated them in verse 14. The prayer to keep them from the evil one in verse 15. The problem was they're not of the world just as I am not of the world in verse 16. And the prayer was sanctify them in the truth. So looking at verse 14, he starts out with, I've given them your word. <clears throat> John opens the gospel with this idea of the word. And he, in John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus Christ is the word. And, and the Greek word there is logos. He's the logos of God. The Greek word logos conveys a philosophical concept, including ideas like knowledge, wisdom, or reason. It is a word that was commonly used by the various Greek philosophers. Rima is a word that the Greeks use for, the, for an individual word. And it, the interesting study as you study the New Testament is see when it, logos is used and to see when rima is used because they're both translated word and an understanding then helps you understand better what each passage it means in its context if you understand the difference between those two words. The Greek reader would understand that Jesus, the human being, is the ultimate statement of God. The ultimate statement of God. Therefore, Jesus Christ eclipses all philosophical endeavors, for they find their end in him, for he embodies the truth, the reason, the knowledge, and the wisdom of God. That is why Jesus Christ would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is not a way to the truth. He is the only way to the truth, for God himself is a summation of all truth. When Jesus said, I've given them your word, he is speaking of more than just teaching. He gave to his disciples. He gave himself. We see this in, sorry. We see this in Revelation when we find one of his names and is the word of God. In, in Revelation 9, 13, he is clothed in the robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. We find this idea in Hebrews 1 also. Long ago, as many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, just in their, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after marrying, making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, and, the, and he sat down the majesty on high. He is the exact image of God. 
he is God. When, when the disciples said, show us the Father, he said, how long have I been with you? I and the Father are one. And then he says, the world has hated them because they are not of this world. When I was a young believer, a preacher said, if you want to know how separated you are from the world, ask yourself how much the world hates you. We live in a day and age where that line is being drawn more and more every day. That if you don't accept what the world says is right, if you don't accept what the world says is good, the world will hate you. In fact, we've gone to the day where if you speak about what you believe is truth, they'll actually label that as hate speech. And so we're, we're, we're living a day and age where it's becoming more and more obvious that if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, the world is going to hate you. Paul wrote to the, to the Romans about the need not to be of this world. In, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, very familiar verses to us. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Peter, Peter wrote it like this in 1 Peter 1, 14 and 16. As obedient children, not to be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you have to be holy, for I am holy. <clears throat> the more unique we are, and, and holy has many meanings, but one of the meanings for holy is unique. God is Christ holy because he's three times more unique than anything else in the world. The more we're like God, the more holy we are, the more we know what sin is, the more we speak about truth, the more the world will hate us. God's purpose, as we're going to see for us, is to be holy. And so the Lord, the Lord is preparing us that the world's going to hate you. And Christ Christ showed he was not of the world by speaking pointedly about righteousness and holiness. They hated Christ and they hated Christ for a reason. And the reason was because he addressed holiness. We live in a day and age where many people have this philosophical Jesus in mind. And they say, oh, Jesus was accepting of anything. Jesus accepted sinners. Jesus accepted prostitutes. Jesus was never condemning. Jesus never called out sin. But it's a lie, and it's Satan's lie, because Jesus was righteous. He did call out sin. He did speak about sin. He spoke about those who un were unwilling to confess their sins, those who were unwilling to accept his standard of righteousness and not their own were going to be condemned to eternal punishment. The world today would like to say that the Jesus of the Bible is not that person. 
but that's not true. And there's a reason the world hated him. If he was, if he was a Jesus at this current worldly fashion, worldly mind is of who he was, they wouldn't have hated him. But that was not who he was. In John 15, 18, and 19, it says if if the world hates you, you know that it were, that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world hates you. So his prayer is that because the world hates us, then verse 15 He's going to say this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Well, if the world hates us, he's leaving the world. Wouldn't it be best for us to leave the world also? And he has a plan that, in, that entails them leave, that us being part of this world. And so he says, I do not ask. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world. He is leaving us here. He has a purpose for leaving us here. And so he's telling the father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. My, my plan of protection, protection because the world hates them is not to remove them from the world. So he's leaving. He has a plan. And so that, that has been a real challenge to the saints ever since. Some have come up with a list of do's and don'ts. We don't become judgmental of others and have set up outward standards so we can judge one another to remain in the world, but yet not be of the world. The challenge is to remain in the world, but not to be of the world. His solution, his prayer, what he asked for is this, but keep them from the evil one. Keep them from the evil one. The problem with remaining in the world is that we're in the domain of the evil one. John 14 and 30, I will no longer talk with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. The Lord Jesus called this evil one the ruler of this world. In 2 Corinthians, Paul it goes even farther in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. He says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from, be, from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He goes so far as to call him the God of this world. And in Ephesians, he, 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 he calls him this, in which... You once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He calls them the prince of the power of the world, of the air. We live in a domain that is controlled by the evil one. The Lord's prayer is that we be kept from the evil one. We're involved in a real battle. 1 Peter 5 8 says this Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. His prayer is that he protects us from this evil one that's prowling around seeking to devour someone. His prayer is that we be kept from that, that we're not devoured. There's many ways Christians are devoured. Some go astray, some fall for false doctrine. 
some fall for what this world is selling. There's many Christians now when I talk to them, they're so confused and so mixed up that they've been so misled by false teachers that they have no idea what right and wrong. They have no idea what the scriptures actually teach. They believe in this inclusion theory that everybody's right in their own, whatever anybody does is right in their own eyes, and therefore they're justified, and we just need to be accepting of it. And to speak about sin is, is hateful. To draw a line of demarcation and say, this is sin and this is not, that we're the evil ones. 2 Corinthians 10 and 3 and 5 says this, Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, to obey Christ. To keep us from the evil one, we have to be aware. We have to be ready. We have to be prepared. And yet he doesn't leave us unprotected because when we get to Ephesians 6, we see that he's given us a whole array of armor. He's protected us in so many ways from the evil one. God has not left us unprotected. So the Lord's prayer that he keep us from the evil one, he's given us every tool, every piece of armor, everything we need to win that fight. And so in many ways, his prayers was answered. He's not done praying for us. He's still praying for us. So that we don't fall for the crafty wildness of the evil one. Verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify is related to the word holy. In its most basic sense, it carries with the, the idea of being separate. As used in the Bible, it used as being separated to God to treat as special or to set aside for God's use. You can go back and look at the tabernacle as a great example of things that were separated to God. And usually they were washed and then they were sprinkled with blood. They were separated to the use of God. They were special, not only from common, but special because they were sanctified for God's use. And so we, we get that idea of sanctifying. This is where we get the word saint from. It means ones that are set aside for God. Some have unfortunately corrupted this word and assigned it to people they, they think has reached a special plateau. It, it is not a term for people who have reached a special plateau. It's everyone who is redeemed by the blood of Christ. We see that when Paul writes to the Corinthians, one of the most carnal churches, in the, in, and most of them have not reached any special plateau for sure. And he writes and calls them saints. So saints basically means sanctified ones or ones who are set aside for God. We're set aside for God the minute we believe in Jesus Christ. 
the way to be separated from the world is to know the truth. When we recognize the lies Satan uses to entrap the worldly, we will, we will distance ourselves from the world. Sadly, we live in a day and age that while we've been giving the word of truth, we don't know it. And the Lord's prayer is that we would be sanctified by that truth, and that truth comes through the word of God. In order to recognize the counterfeit, we must know the genuine. I'm sure you've all heard this, but I've dealt with cash most of my year, most of my life working in some form of retail or another. And I will tell you that we didn't study counterfeits. We studied the real and we knew the real so we could recognize the counterfeit when it came along. The, the, the protection that we're offered, what he's praying for our protection, what he's praying for us to be equipped with is the truth. And that truth comes from his word. Truth, uh, truth is a word that John uses 26 times in this gospel. It's a really important word. You study the gospel of John, truth is, comes out again and again and again. And in John 1 and 14, it says, he introduces this whole idea of this way. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten son of the father, full of grace and truth. The disciples recognized that Jesus was the truth. The disciples recognized when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They could say, amen, you are the truth. You are the real. You're the genuine. So the question is, how does, how does the word sanctify us? How does the word sanctify us? One of the word, one of the verses I memorized very early in life is in Psalms 119 and 9. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? I memorized it in the King James. How can a young man cleanse his ways? Hebrews 4 and 12 says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. And then 2 Peter 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Dick mentioned this morning that a good Bible study student asks why. My, my fear is that people either are not reading the Bible, so they're not making use of the word of truth to be sanctified by, or when they're reading it, they're not paying attention to it. In Ephesians, we're told that we're that the Lord is perfecting his church by the washing of the water of the word. When the, he washed the disciples' feet, Peter said, I want to be bathed all over. And the Lord said, you're already bathed. We've, we've been regenerated by the spirit. We are bathed all over. But there's a need. But he, then he said, if you don't wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. 
there is a need for continually to have our feet washed. We come in contamination with the world and we need to have our feet washed. When we read the word of God, it should cleanse our ways. When we read in the word of God, it should be like a sword that divides to our very inner being. When we read the word of God, we should see what needs to be corrected, what needs to be reproved, and the instruction in righteousness. My fear is, is that people read the word of God, as James puts it, in this way, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently on his natural face in a mirror, where he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and preserves, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. As we read the word of God and we're convicted if we see something, if we're cut to the quick, and we say, I am not like the Lord Jesus in this area. That is an area that I am sinning in. That is an area I need reproof in. I'm not compassionate. I'm not kind. I'm not full of grace. I'm not righteous. I'm not holy as he is holy. That is not the best thing. I'm settling for second best. There's many ways we can read the word of God. And as we read the word of God, we understand those areas in our life that are in conflict with God's purpose and plan. However, instead of being changed by the word of God, Modern religious man has instead substituted what he imagines being separated from the world looks like. The world legalism is often used but does not appear in the Bible. Historically, it referred to works-based salvation. One must obey the rules or one would not go to heaven. However, the world legalism has, taken, has been used in reference to sanctification. Used in this way, it refers to Christian growth and maturity, which comes from keeping a set of objective rules, classically termed as a list of do's and don'ts. Many of us know these lists of do's and don'ts. We've heard people speak. When I was a kid, the word was you don't go to theaters, you don't go to movies, you don't watch television. You don't do this, you don't do that. You don't go to dances, you don't listen to certain music. You don't do this, this is worldly, that's worldly. And there was a lot of do's and don'ts. And if you practice those, then you weren't worldly. And the list has some basis for scripture, but unfortunately the list is subject to the whims of religious leaders and the groups of the makers. And Unfortunately, what it leads to is these groups become much more interested in outward conformity to their ideas of sanctification and fail to be concerned about true sanctification, which is in the heart. It's much easier to judge a person outwardly 
There's only one we read in Isaiah 11 that says, you will not judge by the hearing of the ears and the seeing of the eyes. The rest of us, unfortunately, have to judge by the seeing of the eyes and the hearing of the ears. And so we tend to judge each other and whether we, and, and, and fortunately we fall into that trap of deciding that you're worldly by the, what we see and what we hear. Most of you know my good friends, Carol and, and Ken, daughters. Carol was raised in South America and her family was very concerned about their testimony and very concerned. Her father's rules for, her, for their household was they could not walk down the street on the side if there was a liquor store or if there was a movie theater. They had to cross the street and walk on the other side of the street. In the town in South America that they lived on, that was possible. And the idea was he didn't want anyone to think his children were coming out of one of those type of establishments because then that would have ruined their testimony and they would have been worldly. Well, the world judges us, but what's even worse when we set those same standards to judge each other. Romans 14 and 17 tells us, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Colossians 2 tells us basically the same thing. It's not what we celebrate. It's not what we wear. It's nothing to do with the outward. It's a matter of the heart. A a legalistic approach to God is self-defeating for the law condemns us. It's impossible to live to that standard and we're going to be condemned every time. And so because we're self-defeating, then what we end up doing is we, end, we look for ways to lower the standards in order to meet the standards. And we do that because we start comparing ourselves to one another. And we become very judgmental. I'm less worldly from him because I don't do this. I'm less worldly than some of you because I don't go hunting. No, just kidding. But that's how we get caught in that trap is somehow we say, well, in my mind, hunting is worldly. Therefore, if you go hunting, you're worldly. Well, the the Bible never says anything about hunting. But if a religious leader says that hunting hunting is somehow worldly, then all of a sudden, if you do that, in their mind, you're worldly. That's what legalism is all about. It has nothing to do with the word of God. It has nothing to do with an issue of the heart. It has nothing to do with your relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It says someone's determined that in their mind, that's a worldly activity, and therefore you're wrong for doing it. When we make the outward the focus, we miss the whole point of being changed by the word of God into separated, holy, set-apart people. I think sometimes leaders make legalism there and, and the outward so important because they don't have time or, they're in, or they lack the interest of finding out where people are 
spiritually and where their heart is before God. Unfortunately, when you make the outward the focus, it's easy to outwardly portray a sanctified person, at least in the mind of those leaders. And your heart could be far from God. And as the Lord called the, 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 the Pharisees, you could be a whited sepulcher. And yet you could fool a lot of people because you dress right. You don't do worldly things. You at least act like you're sanctified. But sanctification isn't a matter of outward. Sanctification is a matter of the inward. And what's presented here is that true sanctification only comes through being changed by the word of God. There will be an outward change, but it will because it will be because the heart has been changed. Yes, if someone is involved in sin, then there's still a problem. They're not sanctified. Not sin that I've listed as a sin, not something I've listed as worldly, but because they're actually sinning. And if they're actually sinning, then there's a problem. They're not sanctified. God is first interested in changing our hearts and have that result in an outward action and are being changed outwardly. Too often, religious leaders want outward change without the inward change. Or they don't want the Holy Spirit to produce the inward change, which then produces the outward change. We want immediate change. That's why when we went over the, the session on elders, when we spoke about being long-suffering and understanding and patient, because God will change a person from the inside out. But it's not based on my timetable, and it's not based on what I want. It's based on the Holy Spirit working in the life to bring about sanctification. Practical sanctification is a process. And we're not to judge other people's process. The only process I can judge is my own. So the question isn't whether you're sanctified or whether you're sanctified. The question has to always be, where is my sanctification at? Am I growing in sanctification? Am I letting the word of God bring about sanctification in my heart? Is the word of God actually sanctifying me? Ultimately, God wants us to be conformed to the image of his son. That can only help happen by allowing the word of God to change us to be like him. Are you being changed by the word of God? Am I being changed by the word of God? 
when I read the word of God, do I see myself and is my heart revealed? And my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Do I see those areas of my life that need to be cleansed, that need to be changed? Am I convicted of my sin as I read the Holy Word of God? And what do I do, as James tells us, after I am convicted? Do I change? Do I work on those areas? Do I pray for the help of the Spirit into changing? Or do I forget what I read and go about my life without being sanctified? The Lord's prayer for us is that we would be protected in this world, protected from the evil one, and that we would be sanctified, that we would be set aside from this world, that we'd be separated from the world through the word of God sanctifying us for God to use, as we're going to see next time, that he has a plan for our use, and we must be sanctified in order to be used of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time. We thank you, Father, for your word. We, we would pray that we would not read the word as a textbook, that we would not read the word as a novel, that we would read the word as a sharp two-edged sword that's able to pierce us, that's able to reveal our innermost thoughts, our innermost motives, and that, Father, we would truly be those who read and do and not those who read and forget. That we would truly be those who see ourselves in the word of God and allow it to sanctify us so that we're meet for the master's use. Father, we thank you again for this time we had to be together. We thank you for the Zoom platform so we can be together Father, and we look forward to that time where we can again physically be together to fellowship. Father, we would pray for our government. We pray for those making decisions. Father, we would pray for those who are suffering because of loss of job and, and, and difficulties during this difficult time that we are all going through. And we pray, Father, for your blessing upon us until we meet again. We do so in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.